0: Listener discretion is advised. This episode features discussions of murder, mental illness, domestic abuse and assault that may be upsetting. We advise extreme caution for listeners under 13. Doctors often lead comfortable lives due to the high specialization of their profession. But not all are destined for greatness. It can take years to ascend up the professional ladder and even then, maintaining a job can be a precarious challenge. One patient harmed by one mistake could end it all. Of course, there are other transgressions that could lead to a doctor's downfall. For Dr. Buck Ruxton, a man with a passionate relationship, a respectable practice and a comfortable abode, his mistake was a gruesome double homicide. This is Medical Murders, a Spotify original from Parcast. For decades, thousands of medical students have taken the Hippocratic Oath. It boils down to, do no harm. But a closer look reveals a phrase much more interesting. I must not play at God. However, some doctors break that oath choosing to play God with their patients, deciding who lives and who dies. Each week on Medical Murders, we'll investigate those who decided to kill. We'll explore the specifics of how they operate, not just on their patients, but within their own minds, examining the psychology and urology behind heartless medical killers.
1: I'm Alastair Murden, and I'm joined by Dr. David Kipper, MD. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Kipper, and excited to offer Alistair some medical insight into our first episode of Dr. Buck Ruxton. You can find episodes
0: of Medical Murders and all other podcast shows for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Medical Murders for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Medical Murders in the search bar. This is our first episode on Dr. Buck Ruxton, an Indian physician who set up a thriving practice in the small English town of Lancaster. Today, we'll explore Buck's efforts to leave behind his Indian origins and establish a successful life for himself. Then, we'll look at how his escalating rage drove him to murder his wife and housemaid. Next time, we'll investigate his messy cover-up and the groundbreaking forensic investigation that brought Buck Ruxton to justice. All this and more coming up, stay with us. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up?
1: Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well.
0: So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
1: What does motion sound like? With Kizikans free shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic
0: of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet. Take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression. But you know what will cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like,
1: what the f*** is going on?
0: Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What
1: is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries.
0: That's Science vs. New season out on Spotify soon. On Sunday, September 15th, 1935, Dr. Buck Ruxton sent for his patient Mary Hampshire and her husband. He asked if they would clean his home to prepare it for decorators. Since the Hampshire's were of a lower social class than Buck, they gladly agreed to help him in exchange for cash. Buck delivered on his end of the deal and did them one better. He offered them one of his suits and some carpets he had pulled from the floor of his home. The items were covered in bloodstains, but they were free. This would have been suspicious had Buck not been a doctor. But since he was, Mary didn't question how the suit had gotten soiled she gladly accepted his generous gifts the next day at approximately 9 a.m mary hampshire opened her front door to find a disheveled buck he had returned to see the belongings he'd given her then demanded that she hand over the suit so he could get it properly cleaned but mary declined claiming she could wash it herself buck conceded that at the very least Mary must rip out the coat tag where his name was sewn. After all, it would be improper if Mary's husband wore a suit with someone else's moniker on the inside. So Mary agreed, and Buck went on his way. And while Mary thought the encounter was odd, she got on with her own day too, taking the suit out to the backyard to hose it down. As she doused the clothing in water, Pools of diluted blood soaked into the grass. Mary didn't know it, but she was washing away evidence of murder. Buck Ruxton was deeply concerned with his public standing, and while on this particular day he had done everything in his power to absolve himself of his illicit crimes, His life prior was spent in much the same way, ridding himself of a past he detested. But before Buck Ruxton even had a past to run from, he was a boy genius. Born to a wealthy middle-class Indian family in 1899, Buck Hakim was pushed to excel in academia and did. As early as high school, he knew he wanted to be a doctor. And in 1922, at the age of 23, Buck Hakim earned a bachelor's in medicine and surgery from Grant Medical College in the city then known as Bombay. He spent a year working at the Bombay Hospital, then was promptly commissioned into the Indian Medical Service as a medical officer. At the time, India was still a part of the British Empire, which meant Buck's professional clearance allowed him to work at hospitals in both India and England. But he stayed in India, where his family urged him to marry. In May 1925, at 26 years old, Buck did just that. The arranged union, however, was short-lived. Six months later, Buck was assigned to work at a hospital in Baghdad, Iraq. He promptly left his wife, not knowing when he would return. As it happened, he never did. After just one year in Iraq, Buck pursued a new life for himself in England. While it's unclear what motivated the decision to go to England instead of back to India, we do know he sought to continue his medical studies. He attended medical school at London's University College Hospital for a year then moved to Edinburgh to study for the entrance exam for the fellowship of the Royal College of Surgeons. This was no simple task. While the exact statistics for the 1927 exam aren't known, in the 1890s, the pass rate was just 48% of applicants. And Buck was not
1: among them. These high failure rates of specialty licensing exams in the 1920s might reflect the standards of medical school admission at the time. Schools may have been laxer about applicant acceptance during this point in history, which could explain 50% of students failing these specialty licensing examinations. In other words, if general acceptance into medical school back then wasn't as demanding or difficult, we would naturally see less success for students trying to gain entry into specialized fields. Today, less than 10% of applicants are admitted into medical schools after taking their MCAT or the medical college admission test. And this may explain why acceptance rates into specialized medical school programs have increased since Buck's day. Buck did have one potential handicap in his ability to pass these specialty exams because these were taken in a different country than where he received his basic medical training.
0: Though he didn't pass the licensing exam,
1: he was still able
0: to practice general medicine in the UK. And that he did. But Buck was preoccupied with far more than his career. Shortly after he began work as a doctor in England, Buck met 26-year-old Isabella Kerr. At the time, the young woman was working as manager at Fairley's restaurant, and though Buck never officially divorced his Indian first wife, he fell madly in love with Isabella. From the very start, they shared a fiery attraction, and Buck wanted to make her his. So, in 1928, Buck telegraphed his family in Bombay, asking his first wife's father to send him 200 pounds. Though he wasn't clear about what it was for, it seemed Buck had every intention of using his old life to fund his new one. That same year, Buck and Isabella moved to London together. In London, Buck worked as a locum tenens.
1: A locum tenens is a doctor who does the work of a physician when they're away, or when a healthcare facility is short-staffed. The benefits of being a locum tenens in a hospital setting are primarily related to lifestyle as they can create their own work schedule and have no patient responsibilities once their shift ends. Locum doctors are also usually paid more than their full-time physician counterparts, which is because they're needed acutely. In addition, their salaries can be negotiated based on their specific shift times along with travel and mileage fees. It's estimated that 20% of all physicians have worked in locum positions at some point, myself included. I worked as a moonlighter in emergency rooms during my residency, which is analogous to locum tenens work. It was a great way to supplement my income, which helped pay my student loans and living expenses. I also worked as a locum in Lake Arrowhead, California, where I was provided a palatial lake house, a small motorboat, and an income that in three months exceeded my annual residence salary by 300%. I also had a flexible schedule at the time, something Buck must have also enjoyed while he took charge of his new life.
0: The locum job gave Buck a sense of validity and freedom in his new life. It wasn't long after that he decided to change his name. In April of 1929, Buck born Bakhtiar Rustanji Hakim, legally changed his name to Buck Ruxton. It was an American-sounding name, perhaps revealing the way Buck idolized the opulence of the West. Though his first wife tried to reach Buck via letter around this time, she never received a response. Buck's former life was fully behind him. Buck and Isabella became common-law husband and wife and their passionate love affair delivered a daughter. Meanwhile, Buck's brief medical work in England had given him enough experience to start his own practice. In the spring of 1930, 31-year-old Buck Ruxton moved his wife Isabella and their new daughter Elizabeth to a home at 2 Dalton Square in Lancaster, Northern England where he would also set up his medical practice. Of course, like all businesses, Buck's practice took time to ramp up. Buck and Isabella pinched pennies to make ends meet. Isabella was sometimes seen in shabby clothes, which was a source of contention for Buck, who didn't want his family to be perceived as poor. Eventually, she was able to afford finer garments, but Buck's pride never desisted. This pride brought him success in the workplace but it didn't serve him so well in his personal life. In his relationship with Isabella, Buck's envy soured things, and the intensity that had sustained their love at the beginning soon contributed to its volatility. Up next, Buck's home life takes a dark turn. Listeners, This month marks 60 years since John F. Kennedy became the 35th President of the United States, ushering his already prominent family into the highest enclaves of political power. But behind their storied successes lie secrets and scandals so severe, if it were any other lineage, they would have been left in ruin. This January, to commemorate this iconic milestone, Dig into the dramas of a real-life American dynasty in the Spotify original from ParCast, The Kennedys. Crime, history, mystery. This exclusive series from Spotify features your favorite ParCast hosts, including me, examining one of the world's most formidable families from all angles. Whether it's assassinations and conspiracies, corruption and cover-ups, international affairs, and extramarital ones too, discover all of the Kennedy family's most controversial moments, all in one place. You can binge all 12 episodes of this limited series starting on Tuesday, January 19th. Follow The Kennedys free and exclusively on Spotify. Now, back to the story. In 1930, 31-year-old Dr. Buck Ruxton's life was on the up and up. From the outside looking in, people saw a respectable middle-class family man who was slowly amassing a positive reputation and a higher financial status. And to some degree, fortune was shining down upon Buck. Sadly, Buck wasn't one to appreciate what he had. Instead, He resented those who had more than him and snapped at any mention of his flaws. So concerned with losing the life he built for himself, he saw every minor inconvenience as a threat to his growing empire. Unfortunately, his ruthless pursuit of a lavish life heavily impacted his relationship with his wife, Isabella. Buck's fits of jealousy turned heated disputes into volatile arguments. At times, Buck would go so far as to berate Isabella for being disloyal, an allegation he had no proof of. Yet, for all the trouble brewing at home, Buck kept up pretenses in his professional life. Buck's practice gained regular clients, and many of his patients regarded him as methodic, brilliant, charming, and elegant. People said he could cure arthritis and rheumatism, And with the positive testimonials, Buck was able to amass wealth. Success even seemed to ease his family life for a time, and before long, he and his wife were expecting a second child. Buck put his money towards a live in nurse named Mary Rogerson, who helped Isabella care for their growing family after their second daughter, Diane, was born. Unfortunately, Parenting a newborn aggravated tensions between Buck and Isabella once more, and before long, they were back to their intense arguments. Sometimes, things even turned violent. And while both had a penchant for drama, Buck's nature was more extreme. When Buck became upset, his speech, which was already very fast, became almost unintelligible, He'd become almost incoherent, making preposterous claims that made little sense. And his frequent allegations against his wife turned to a full-blown marital crisis as Buck grew convinced
1: Isabella was having an affair. It seems Buck's jealousy may have been more than a simple emotion. The neurobiological basis of jealousy has been well studied. It comes from an interaction between areas in the basal ganglia, the part of the brain where emotion comes from, that connect to the prefrontal cortex, where cognition, complex planning, and behavioral regulation are centered. The feeling of jealousy itself is related to spikes in certain bodily chemicals and the resulting dance between them. These chemicals include cortisol, the stress-inducing hormone, oxytocin, the hormone that triggers feelings of love and affection, and testosterone, a sex hormone that has strong ties to aggression. We've all experienced jealousy, but violence is certainly an extreme, outlying reaction. It's estimated that 15% of both men and women have at some time been subjected to physical harm at the hands of a jealous partner. People who inflict this jealous violence generally exhibit other characteristics related to mood disorders that stem from dopamine imbalances, like a bipolar disorder. Given Buck's extreme fluctuations between anger and happiness, his violent tendencies, and problems with impulse control, it's likely that he was himself bipolar. This mood disorder is also commonly associated with narcissism, a lack of accountability and high risk-taking behavior all of which Buck seemed to demonstrate. I believe the intensity of Buck's jealous nature was exacerbated by an underlying dopamine-driven bipolar disorder, which led to his sporadic fits of violent rage.
0: It's possible that this jealousy also deepened Buck's desire to claim Isabella by getting her pregnant, or perhaps the intensity of their hot and cold relationship led to a fiery sexual chemistry. Either way, In 1932, two years after they'd had their second daughter, Isabella became pregnant again, but she suffered a miscarriage. The sudden loss, coupled with her tumultuous relationship, led Isabella into a depression. That same year, Isabella attempted suicide by gassing herself. Isabella lived, yet rather than expressing empathy for his wife, Buck got angry. He reached out to Isabella's sister, Jeannie, and insisted that she talk some sense into Isabella. But Jeannie had her own misgivings. She asked Buck if he had something to do with Isabella's suicidal actions. Buck denied it. As far as he was concerned, he was a loving husband. His wife was the problem. In fact, Isabella had tried to kill herself in an attempt to hurt him. He went on to tell Jeannie that Isabella had threatened to kill herself before in attempts to destroy Buck's reputation and medical practice. Despite this, he did everything in his power to be good to her. Buck's growing anger and defensiveness told a different story, but Jeannie didn't dare argue. Buck had gotten increasingly worked up as he told Jeannie his side of events and even prevented her from going upstairs to see her sister. But eventually, once Buck spoke his peace, he calmed down and permitted Jeannie to see Isabella. Jeannie climbed the stairs to find her sister lying in bed, resting. Buck didn't seem to care much about Isabella's weakened state. He demanded that Isabella tell her sister the truth about what happened. It was then she clarified that she hadn't actually tried to kill herself. She claimed the gassing had been an accident, which may or may not be true. In either case, Buck felt that Isabella had outright lied. He flew into yet another rage and slapped Isabella across the face. Buck yelled, come on now, the truth, the truth, you must tell the truth. Distraught, Isabella asked Jeannie if she could stay at her house in Edinburgh. Buck exploded into tears, warning that if she left and took the children, he would slit their throats. By this point, Jeannie knew her sister was in a relationship with a dangerous man, but she didn't step in. Instead, she watched as Buck's anger turned to sadness and then dissipated altogether. Somehow, Buck had reached an inexplicable calm and then he permitted his wife to stay with her sister. He proposed that for the evening, Jeannie could stay at the Ruxton residence. The next day, he would bring the two sisters to the train station. And he held to his word. After a brief stay with her sister, Isabella returned home and for some months, life was decent for the Ruxtons. In 1933, Isabella became pregnant again. She soon delivered a third Ruxton child named Billy. Still, Buck regularly abused Isabella. According to one of their maids, in November 1933, Isabella Ruxton came down to the kitchen crying clutching her badly bruised left arm. At lunch that day, she told Buck she would go away. He retorted, you will not go away. He also warned that she wasn't fit to have the children. Just months later, there was another incident. In April 1934, Isabella went to the police station, where she made a statement to Detective Inspector William Thompson about the violence in her home. While she was there, Buck showed up in a frenzied state. He waved his arms in the air and foamed at the mouth, shrieking, My wife has been unfaithful. I will kill her if it continues. He spoke rapidly and hysterically, as he always did when his anger struck. He leaped from subject to subject, arguing that his wife was trying to sabotage his medical practice and then claiming that it was all a ploy to break his heart. His warped and extreme logic is a testament to the intensity of his delusion. Unable to believe he was the reason his wife was unhappy, Buck cast all blame on her The police officer, trying to calm Buck down, later remembered that he was afraid the doctor
1: would have a seizure. Occasionally, extreme negative emotions, like raging anger and jealousy, can cause physical symptoms, like the increased salivation and rapid speech that Buck manifested. They can also cause high blood pressure, rapid heart rate, and overwhelming feelings of anxiety. The body interprets these intense feelings in the same way it interprets physical threat, which sends us into the fight-or-flight mode that ensures our survival. When we experience these emotional spikes, our amygdala, or stress radar, located in the brain's limbic system, triggers the adrenal gland to produce cortisol. This cortisol, which we now know as the stress hormone, stimulates the sympathetic nervous system, which creates a state of hyperarousal leading to all of the aforementioned physical symptoms. If a person experiencing this survival reaction also suffers from a mental illness, like a bipolar disorder, these physical manifestations are heightened and very noticeable, consistent with what Isabella and Detective Thompson saw in Buck. People can even have seizures in these high states of stress, and this is again likely in someone with an underlying neurologic chemical imbalance. These stress-induced seizures are known as pseudo-seizures, or psychogenic, non-epileptic seizures. These episodes look very much like common epileptic seizures, where the body spasms and consciousness temporarily becomes impaired. They're also followed by a brief post-seizure mental haziness. All of this gives some insight into Buck's behavior, given the perceived circumstances. His reactions were typical, given his severe acute stress. While he
0: was exhibiting intense physical stress, Buck didn't have a seizure that day. Instead, he suddenly calmed down, like he had in the past, without any apparent change in circumstances. Thompson asked Buck if he'd give Isabella money for the train fare to see her sister in Edinburgh, which he did. Thompson accompanied Isabella back to the Ruxton residence so she could pack her clothes in peace. But Buck wasn't ready to give in to Isabella's departure so easily. As she was grabbing her things, Buck passed her a note and soon the couple spoke privately. Buck must have had persuasive words because after the two talked, Isabella agreed to stay in Lancaster. It appears they had a cyclical pattern of abuse. Their sharpest conflicts were followed by honeymoon-type make-up phases where Buck would bomb Isabella with love. And though it wasn't healthy, they continued to pursue it. And the abuse continued. At a later date, police constable William Wilson answered a telephone call from 2 Dalton Square. It was Isabella begging for help. When he arrived at the scene, he found the doctor behaving like a man insane. Isabella was terrified, watching as her husband flew off the handle. Buck screamed about his wife's supposed affair. At one point, Buck cried, I will commit two murders in Dalton Square tonight. It was a violent threat, but Buck wasn't joking. And soon, his deadly intentions would be more than just words Coming up Buck proves himself a cold-blooded killer And now back to the story By 1934 power-hungry Dr. Buck Ruxton had abused his wife Isabella for years While the two always seemed to make up eventually producing three children Buck always became violent again and Isabella often ended up seeking asylum with local law enforcement. But no one in their community did anything further to help her. So, in 1934, Isabella finally helped herself. She fled to her sister Jeannie's house in Edinburgh with all of her clothes, telling her, I have finally left Lancaster, and I'm not going back. Back in Lancaster, Buck was both anguished and outraged. He asked his housemaid, Mary Rogerson, if she would be the mother of his children from that point on. Then he left for Edinburgh in pursuit of his wife. When he arrived on Jeannie's doorstep, he demanded that Isabella return to Lancaster with him. He said it would ruin him if she left for good and that he and the children needed her. After minutes spent begging and pleading, Isabella relented on the condition that she stay with Jeannie for several days to get her bearings. Impatient, Buck told Isabella, No, you must come back. So Isabella compromised. She told Buck she'd spend one more night at Jeannie's and return the next day. And she did. But the violence in their relationship had become predictable at that point. By the end of 1934, Isabella called the domestic servant Eliza Hunter into the kitchen from the backyard. Eliza found Buck with his hands at his wife's neck. At once, Buck stepped away, denying Isabella's claims that he had just held a knife to her throat. But Eliza heard a knife click shut and saw a glint of the weapon through Buck's fingers. Buck hadn't acted quick enough, and though the grim scenario worried Eliza, she said nothing to the couple. And it wasn't the last time the maid walked in on terrifying altercations. In early 1935, Eliza heard Isabella calling for her from her bedroom. When Eliza went in, she found Isabella on the bed, where Buck was holding her down with his hands around her neck. He jumped up when he saw Eliza, then shouted that this was none of her business and demanded that she get out. A few months later, the same thing happened. Though this time, it was another servant, Vera Shelton, who answered Isabella's call from her bedroom. When Vera entered, Buck ran from the room, calling Isabella a prostitute as he fled. Isabella's nightdress was torn, her arms bruised, and a broken telephone lay on the floor. But she survived. Over and over again, Isabella survived her husband's fits of rage and jealousy. Sadly, her luck was about to run out. In September 1935, Isabella planned to stay at the Adelphi Hotel in Edinburgh with some friends. Among her comrades were Mr. and Mrs. Edmondson, their daughter Barbara, and son Robert Edmondson, who worked at the town clerk's office. Buck immediately suspected that Isabella was having an affair with Robert. So, he decided to keep a watchful eye on his wife. that night, it rained hard as Buck trailed behind the Edmundsons, hoping to catch his wife in her infidelity. Buck put a brown paper screen over his windshield so that they wouldn't be able to see him, and they didn't. But Buck didn't see anything suspicious from the car, so he decided to stick around the hotel that evening and continue his covert mission. That night. He waited in the car outside the Adelphi Hotel. Though he had no evidence, he was convinced that Isabella and Robert were spending the night together. In reality, Isabella, Barbara, and Robert each had their own rooms. The next day, Buck waited anxiously for Isabella to return from her trip and when she did, he put on an air that nothing was wrong. In actuality. He was seething. Isabella's trip had been the final straw for Buck Ruxton's jealousy. He didn't need proof that his wife was cheating to blame her for what he believed was a full-blown affair. Over the next week, he grew more violent with each passing day. By the next weekend, Isabella found herself once again wanting a way out. On Saturday, September 14th, one week after the Edinburgh trip, Isabella drove to Blackpool, a seaside resort town, to meet her sisters. Every year, they went together to see the annual illuminations, which lit up the city in bewitching colours. But Isabella seemed less enchanted than she'd been in most years. Though the three women were among a group of friends, Isabella found herself sad whenever she was left alone. Her sister observed this with concern. Later that evening, Isabella confessed to Jeannie that she was, once again, preparing to leave her husband. She'd apparently made inquiries about managing a football pool in Edinburgh, but she still had much to plan before she left Buck. For Jeannie, the news was a relief. At 11.30pm, Isabella seemed in better spirits and she said goodbye and drove back to Lancaster, promising her sisters she'd return the next day. But Buck was waiting for his wife at home, and he had no intention of letting her leave again. In the early hours of Sunday, September 15th, Isabella pulled up to 2 Dalton Square where Buck had left food for her in the lounge. Plates, cups, and saucers adorned their table, covered with bread and butter, cakes, stewed blackberries, the remains of a fruit salad, and a chocolate blancmange. It remains unclear whether Isabella ever indulged in the abundant assortment of treats. The investigation suggests that a violent quarrel broke out between Isabella and Buck shortly after she arrived. The two likely had a physical altercation that landed them at the top of the stairs outside the bedrooms. And like the times before, Buck Ruxton was quick to put his hands on his wife's throat. But this time, he never let go. With his bare hands, he strangled Isabella
1: to death. Strangulation by hand is a particularly disturbing method of murder. To give a clearer idea, strangulation is the squeezing or constriction of the throat. This causes oxygen intake to cease and kills someone by cutting off blood flow to the brain and the heart or lungs. Death from strangulation primarily results from one or from some combination of three common occurrences, all of which can kill in a matter of minutes. The first is prolonged pressure to the jugular veins, located in the neck. This pressure prevents deoxygenated blood from leaving the brain and flowing back into the heart and lungs, causing a loss of consciousness after about 10 to 15 seconds. The blood that gets trapped in the brain then causes a lethal rise in intracranial pressure, leading to brainstem dysfunction, asphyxiation, and death. The second cause is a sustained compression of the carotid arteries, which also run through the neck. This leads to an unconsciousness again after about 10 to 15 seconds and eventual death due to cerebral ischemia, which is when oxygenated blood can't reach the brain. The third most common cause of death from strangulation is when the trachea or windpipe gets completely closed off, which results in death from oxygen deprivation. This requires about 33 pounds of pressure, much more than murder by a jugular vein or carotid artery pressure. It's hard to do that because people are struggling when you're applying that kind of pressure. Obviously, for them, it's a life-death situation. So they're, they're moving pretty spasmodically to try to get out of it. I feel that Buck chose to strangle Isabella for very sadistic reasons. He probably wanted her to suffer and wanted to demonstrate ultimate power and control over her. By using his bare hands, Buck likely had to strangle Isabella for about three to four minutes before she died.
0: But unfortunately, Isabella wasn't the only victim. It's estimated that during that time, the nurse, Mary Rogerson, found Isabella and Buck in their deadly embrace at the top of the stairs. Perhaps she tried to save Isabella or was simply a witness, Either way, Buck wouldn't let poor Mary live. Once he'd killed his wife, Buck picked up something heavy and hit the nurse over the head with such force that it shattered her skull, probably knocking her out. Then, according to the investigative reports, Buck likely stabbed Mary's body many, many times. As he did... Her blood soaked the carpet on top of the upstairs landing and spilled down the stairs. Even if the knife didn't reach her vital organs, it would have been too much blood loss for any human to remain alive. Once the fighting was over, Buck dragged the bodies into his wife's bedroom, locked the door and removed the key. In Blackpool, Isabella Ruxton's sisters waited for her in vain. Meanwhile, Buck Ruxton, the doctor blinded by jealousy, was making frantic efforts to ensure that he wouldn't be caught red-handed. Next time on Medical Murders, Buck Ruxton uses his medical know-how to get rid of the bodies. At first, it seems like he'll get away with it. But groundbreaking forensic strategies eventually lead investigators to his door. Thanks for listening to Medical Murders, and thanks again to Dr. Kipper for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Alistair. See you next week.
0: For more information on Buck Ruxton, among the many sources we used, we found trial transcripts from The Trial of Buck Ruxton, edited by R. H. Blundell and G. Haswell Wilson, MD, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Medical Murders and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals like Medical Murders for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Medical Murders on Spotify, just open the app and type Medical Murders in the search bar. We'll see you next time. Medical Murders is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Trent Williamson, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, Kristen Acevedo, Jonathan Cohen, Alexandra Trickford, and Erin Larson. This episode of Medical Murders was written by Maud Doyle, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Chelsea Wood. Medical Murders stars Dr. David Kipper and Alastair Murden. Fact. Fiction. Fame. Discover the real story behind one of history's most formidable families in the Spotify original from Parcast, The Kennedys. Remember, you can binge all 12 episodes starting on Tuesday, January 19th. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify.